Welcome to the show, Phenomenosophy, Episode 7, The Enemy Within. Today we'll be discussing mass hysteria and propaganda um, and the role that the media plays and the role that we play in our own responsibility in how we synthesize information. Without further ado, Mr. Gingy, how are you doing today? Hey, hey, doing pretty good. How are you? So let me get your takes, first of all, on, so that the title of the show is The Enemy Within. How do you see the enemy within in relation to information outside of us in the form of information from media, information from politicians, um, whether it be propagandistic or not, whether it's mis disinformation, whether it's factual information? What, how do you see the enemy within? Um, I think first off, I'd start by saying that I see a whole lot of identifying an enemy outside of ourselves right now. You know, the, the left defines the right as an enemy. The right defines the left as an enemy. There's no middle ground. There's certain language that's been claimed. There's, and I'm not, it's not all just political um, I, I see it in just this like tribal mentality, this tribalism that's happening of we're over here doing our thing. And if you infringe on that, you're the enemy. And realistically for me, the enemy within is, is a way of understanding where the idea of enemy comes from and where it's maintained and perpetuated. And that is within all the experiences that we we've had in the world are within ourselves. We hear and interpret sound within ourselves. We see images within ourselves. We experience feeling and touch within ourselves. And we've created the idea of an enemy within ourselves. So because we hold judgment on the way somebody talks or um, who they are or their titles or their approach, or you know anything really because of the way that we interpret them we can identify them as somebody who um not even really conflicts with but somebody who i perceive as a danger to my way of life or what i identify with or something like that so understanding that the enemy is defined and maintained within so that I can project out and label anyone that fits that model as the enemy or groups of people even. So that's what I'd say. And in that, and in that model, if I perceive an enemy, how am I likely to judge information from the enemy? Yeah. So as far as information, um, by judging somebody as an enemy or by holding any type of belief like that, all of a sudden it becomes what, what's a popular term right now is your bias, whether it's conscious or unconscious. This information is now being manipulated by your mind consciously or unconsciously so that the reality shows up for you the way that you're expecting it to. Like uh, if, if all white straight men are um, in a space of privilege, for example, regardless of, what that means linguistically or intended by the people that came up with, with these ideas. 
um, internally, every single one of us has a different understanding of what that means. And if you're a white man, you may take that as like, I'm being attacked. If you're not a white man <laughs> or not straight or something, you may take it as you know, uh, an invitation to play victim to that privilege or you know, any, any number of things. But because of the bias we hold, when we hear that, that claim, that little bit of information, we take it and assess it and either validate one of our own core biases or beliefs or, or expectations of the world, or it doesn't quite fit and we reject the information and continue moving forward. It's, it's less likely, but still definitely something that happens where somebody will take new information and say, oh, that proves what I formally believed as incorrect. So now I need to readjust my own belief system. That's, that takes a certain level of mastery and practice to go you know, and, and challenge what you know about the world with every new bit of information. Okay. So I, the way, so how would you approach or what would you say would be a way of approaching information um, such that it's not judged by these biases that we, that we establish the enemy without or the enemy outside of us, that if information is coming from someone we've already judged as the enemy, and therefore, or at least if not the enemy, as someone that uh, doesn't hold my values or someone whose values skew the information that they give, right? So there's a prejudice here in information, depending on how I define the source of information. What, how, how then do we approach information such that we can synthesize actionable information from any source? So I think it'd be first to get clear on what, information is because there are facts in this case i'll say there's factual information and there's non-factual <laughs> information which you know say like oh that guy's a jerk that's information but that's not necessarily a fact right to say that somebody is a jerk is an assessment there's no jerk meter if it can't level oh he's eight out of ten on the jerk jerkometer that's right. that's there's no way of, of substantiating the claim. You can say um, he likes to you know, hit people when he's drunk or something like that. You'd be, oh, yeah, I also believe he's a jerk. But that's still, that's not information that's factual. But it is still information. So when I hear someone say, like, hey, that guy's a jerk, I'm like, oh, interesting. Let me see if when I get to know this person, I have the same experience. Then for okay. me, that information remains neutral and unbiased, and I can create my own experience of it from the get-go. Right. So I would say then the, one of the keys here is to allow information to be neutral until we've, until we've synthesized information from it or established what's fact, what's assessment, what's merely an assertion that has not evolved into a fact yet. So there's a, so in order to be neutral, 
with information, we have to be mindful of our bias towards the source of the information. What I mean by that is like, for example, the media, right? There are groups of people that take, let's say, mainstream media as an authority on information. And there are groups of people that look on the mainstream media as not an authority. And in fact, misinforming or disinforming intentionally. And with that, we already have a bias towards information that comes out from mainstream media. Right? And, and I'd like to also eventually tie this into the experience that people are having in I, I, again, I use the term mass hysteria, and I see that as a fear that is built up within the masses because of some information that is coming from a source that our bias allows that information through or that the information is being conveyed with some kind of intention. Because I also see that especially in the case of, let's say, propaganda, misinformation, and disinformation, that information can be delivered and conveyed in a way that the words being used are being used in artfully, rhetorically, in a way to convey a certain meaning or underlying message that isn't necessarily... Uh, expressed in the communication or in the information itself. Right. It's like an implied. Right. There's an implication underneath the information. Right. Like for instance, if I say like there's seven apples that could be construed as like, Oh man, that there's a great thing. Like he must've just found a present or something. There's, right. there's some good news about these seven apples. It'd be like, <laughs> guys, there's, there's only seven apples. Or if there's seven apples, and that could imply an entirely different experience, and it goes to to it, that gets applied to any type of information that comes across. Right. The the example that I wanted to point out that gives credit to what you were talking about just now is like Fox News. The information that comes through Fox News is deemed as reliable, factual, loved, supported, whatever by a certain group of people. We'll call them Fox News lovers. And then on the other side, there are people that will not watch Fox News at all because they're convinced that it's conspiratorial, it's inaccurate, it's pushing a certain agenda, whatever the other reasons are. And based off the same information that's coming out of the same individual's mouths, mm -hmm. you've got one group that completely rejects it and one group that completely accepts it. And that's, right. there's, there's a spectrum there. There are people in the middle, like me, for instance, I'm like, it's Fox News. Like, what are they saying? Let's go look into what they're addressing. But what's underneath is an, a motivation and intention to thrive as a business, to, and whatever that means, if that means pushing a certain agenda that gets them more funding or more, um, or more viewers, or more ratings, or more whatever, it's a business model. They need to maintain a certain level of income and watchers and, and, and relationships in order to thrive 
as Fox News has been thriving or even to grow. So there is always some level of motivation and implication underneath whatever information is coming through. We just not always privy to it. And if it goes deeper to some maniacal conspiracy theory or something else, I don't know. But it's still just information. And if we can separate the, there's seven apples versus there's seven apples and get rid of the implications and just say, oh, seven apples. What do I think about that? Right. And, and, and in that example, whole new game. and in that example, you're just speaking about inflection. I think it can go deeper right. and even your, your choice of words, right? The, the actual words that you're using um, can convey even though regardless right. of the inflection, like, yes, of course, inflection does affect how someone's going to interpret. Um, I mean, you could see that like in sarcasm, like, oh yeah, I love that. Right. <laughs> Somebody go, oh my God, he really loves that. No, you're going to hear the inflection as being something sarcastic, but let's look at like actual information. Like, like let's look at this, the pandemic, right? So in the beginning, there's like uh, a death clock, you know, every day on, on the news, you know, the death count, yeah. just rolling, rolling. It's death, 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 just over and over and over. It's just death, death, death. Um, and I think this speaks to, okay, media is a business, right? Are people, are there more viewers and more people orienting themselves towards negative information? Therefore, it's better for our business to really make information feel negative, right? So, and then as soon as the death count started getting to the point where it's like, well, you know, it's not necessarily going to get us the ratings we want. We switch up the counter cases, cases, cases of COVID right now. They're not, mm-hmm. the death counter is not rolling anymore because that's not, a, that's not maybe going to draw in the audience that they want. But this is where I mean, like dis- making a distinction, of the information it's fear, fear, fear. And yeah, seeing a death counter <laughs> you know, can, can instill fear in someone. You're like, ah, you know, cause that could be me. I could be the next number on there or my parents or my, my siblings or yeah, my grandma, don't oh, know, stop. You know, the counter's just going, going, going. Who's next? Who's next? Right. Um, but when that slows down to the point where it's, it's not generating within people, the fear and this business model, mainstream media is now tanking on, on the uh, ratings. Right. And therefore can't sell their advertising spots for whatever. If, if we recognize that people are drawn in and will watch something they're afraid of, right? Like the, the, it's going to draw their eyes to it. So we're naturally as part of our business model, we want to orient our information towards the negative, but it's again, making for me, I'm, if I take responsibility for synthesizing information as opposed to, allowing things outside of me to be authority for information. So regardless of your bias, whether you swing politically one way or the other way, whether you look at some sources of information as viable and accurate, whether you see other ones as inaccurate and and unreliable, being able to uh, drop all those biases and be able to just take the information for what it is. So 
in noticing that all of a sudden, well, the media is not, they don't have the rolling death counter anymore and it's just about cases. Well, then I, you know, for me, a person who I, I synthesize information, I make it a regular practice that I don't take information in with the intent that it's being necessarily conveyed with. I just look at it as neutral. So in the case of, you know, the media saying, oh my God, 10,000 new cases, right? Um, in Los Angeles, whatever. Um, and I live in Los Angeles, so that, you know, that I could say, okay, 10,000 new cases. The information is neutral. What does it mean? So this is what I mean by synthesizing information. Like imagine if you just woke up with amnesia and you had no idea of the last 12 months that had happened. You turn on the news and it says, oh my God, 10,000 new cases in LA. You're like, are these cooties? What? what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Of what? What exactly? Um, yeah. You wouldn't yeah, necessarily so, be like, it's getting so worse. It's getting so bad. We need to, right. yeah. Right. And and that's, and that's again, but what are you doing with that information? If it's being like, again, conveyed from that media source as this is a really big deal and you take it in that way as opposed to it's just information, right? So it's that, the hysteria comes from buying into the delivery of the information, which like you said, it's being delivered the way that it's being delivered because of the business model. Well, that's one you're, aspect for sure. Yeah. You're, you're more likely to watch if I, if you're in, if you're in fear, right, you're more likely to watch our show, especially if it's a news show, right? Um, you're more likely to watch if there's fearful information out there. Right. If there's literally a car accident to stare at, people will stare at it. Right. I even find myself being like, look at all these idiots. Look, get out of the way. I'm trying to get past these freaking car accidents. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. driving right on by and I'm like, why did I look? I didn't, right. didn't want to look. I'm just talking crap about everybody else looking. But still, there's something guttural for me that drew my eyes to see, is there a dead body? Is there blood and guts? How bad is it really? Is this worth my – I mean – there's a whole bunch of reasons. Right. So anytime well, you blast something like that in somebody's face and say it's a big deal, our instinct isn't to go, wow, this guy really thinks it's a big deal. It's to go, <laughs> it's a big deal and react the same way. Well, and that's psychologically from probably from a, an evolutionary standpoint. So human right. beings are more likely probably to put their attention into the negative because of it could be life-threatening. Right. Danger. So, so, you know, a bird singing in a tree, we can orient ourselves to that and go, Oh, what a beautiful thing. Lovely song, beautiful day. We, it's not that we don't have the ability to orient ourselves towards positive things, but when something negative does occur and it's screaming our, you know, calling out for attention, we're more likely to be whoop, zoomed in on it and focused on it because of danger. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. to me, that makes sense. You know, for a human being is going to orient itself towards those things that are a risk. There's, there's a word for that. I don't remember what it is, but they, I've is, heard it described about like our, our minds need to focus on the most pressing issue that's at top of mind which right. allows us to function in a world full of stimulus. But I, I just don't remember what the term is. I, me, and, I, me and Matt 
were talking about it the other day. And I, I don't remember. It's, I, I want to say it's a psychological term that yeah. we were trying to come up with, which was something like, I don't know, negativity bias or orientation no, or something like that. Here's where I heard it the first time. There's a TV show, the first season, the first or second episode, it's called Brain Games, like Brain Games. And in there, they have a magician come in and, and literally talk like, how do you do your, your, how does magic work? How does your career as a magician work? And he's like talking to somebody and he goes, check this out. And he pulls this long, beautiful scarf or whatever out of his pocket. And he goes, did you see that? Did you notice that? And he goes, no, what are you talking about? He's like, he reaches in his pocket and pulls out the guy's wallet. And then they went back and showed in the review that as he was distracting his attention over here, he was able to full on go inside the guy's pocket, not subtly, but completely remove it because his his spotlight awareness had to, was drawn to the number one thing that uh, that was taking his attention in that moment. And it was that was coupled in I mean, maybe maybe the second or third episode they talked about. Uh, uh, multitasking and how mm. it's actually a myth. No individual can actually multitask, meaning doing two things at the same time. Our brains have just highly developed to the ability to switch back and forth really, really fast. So Definitely, while you're driving yeah. down the road and changing the, the song and talking with somebody on the phone, you can do all of that at the same time, but really your brain's going... <laughs> Switching back and forth like an electronic switchboard. Hey, wait, how's it? How's it go? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So that's interesting because I think that speaks into the subject, right? Propaganda, mm -hmm. disinformation, misinformation, and distraction, right? Like if if I know that certain type of information will take your attention and have you think on it, have you stew on it, have you talk about it, can I distract you from other information that might be out there? Yeah, or how can I use this to my advantage? I can, A, increase ratings and increase monetary flow, and I can, you know, I can also help out so-and-so who's trying to market a new product, and I can, I mean, the understanding that bit of information means I can do a lot with it. <laughs> Right. And then, and I think that also speaks into, I, I feel the, the core of this subject, which is considering that information is neutral, considering that we have a capacity within us to synthesize information and to eliminate implications and things like that. So for instance, information will be delivered. And then on top of that, we'll go, well, then this, like some kind of like, you know, uh, not necessarily a logical uh, outcome is predicted or Can I bring in flatter or meaning, right? <laughs> that it, it means this like, Oh, right. here's some, here's some information. This is the meaning. Right. And I, I'd say that's where our capacity to synthesize information is the most important is in being able to take information, see it as just neutral information be able to discern assertions from facts, from assessments, and take the 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 conclusive the conclusive statement about it, the the meaning of it, and 
just do away with that. I'm going to synthesize my own meaning from this information. Like, like for instance, we were talking about, there's this many new cases, right? Therefore, shit's bad. <laughs> we're getting a lot worse. of people are going <laughs> to die. Stuff's getting worse, right? Um, well, I would take it in, okay, there's 10,000 new cases. Um, how many people are dying? How many people are likely to die? You know, what's the death rate of these new cases? You know, what are the age ranges? What are the age ranges of people who are dying? Uh, I go even further back than that to figure out how we got to this number in the first place. Right. Is this is this accurate? Does this tell a bigger story? Right. Is the information itself, what is the information saying? Right. And I think, uh, uh, so before we go any further, because I've used the statements a couple of times, we probably need to make some distinctions here. Um, around yeah <laughs> around assessment assertion and fact so could we do I, it in like a process because let well let me give you the yes we okay. can yeah, yeah let me give you just the basic definitions or basic distinctions between those three things and then we can kind of show it in an example so that it be conveyed more effectively so We'll start with an assertion. An assertion, and, I, and I'm getting this from the work of Searle, John Searle, who has work on speech acts. I've actually integrated his work on speech acts into uh, effective communication courses, which I saw you found the other day. I thought that was yeah, like, ah, because <laughs> I, I remember having a conversation where I'm like, weren't you there? Weren't you there at that one of those trainings, one of those workshops? Gonna... I did? Yeah, the effective team <laughs> communication workshop. So yeah. it's and and that's why I have these distinctions, and I feel it's it's extremely important and significant, effective for you to have these distinctions of language, so that you have tools to discern information and to synthesize it. So an assertion is basically a statement that can be proven true or false. Okay, simple statement that can be proven true or false. So for instance, the temperature in this room is 70 degrees. That is a statement which can be proven true or false. I can prove that statement true or false with a thermometer. And I can say, well, according to this thermometer, it's 67 degrees in here. So that is a false statement that the temperature in this room is 70 degrees. Okay. But also and I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I can prove that because 800 million other people also believe the same thing. That we're not there yet. Because okay. what? But that goes to here. the proof. Like, no, that no, doesn't no, no. equal proof. You're, you're talking about assessments, grounding assessments, ungrounded assessments. So, no, so no, let, no, me no. Get, let me get through my distinctions real so quick. So you just... I, I, no, no, no. You said, eight, you said 800 million people believe. We'll get to that. Let's wait for assessments before we go there. Or they think I don't care what thing. anybody believes. That doesn't make it a fact. Okay. No, but to the so, point you just made, if it gonna, can be proven true or false. You're not trust me on this, are you, Gingy? If it can be proven, proven true or false, that has nothing to do with what other people think. That's no, the only thing has, I was trying to yes, lay out Yes, it has nothing to do. It, ha it is not an opinion. It can be proven true or false. Okay. So with that, then you have facts. Facts come from assertions. Assertion, an assertion proven to be true is now a fact. Okay? 
whereas an assertion proven to be false is not a fact. It's a falsehood, fiction. Um, and then you have assessment. Assessments are opinions. Assessments are judgments. Assessments can be either grounded by facts or ungrounded. And a lot of times, a lot of information you get from, let's say, mass media, right, or mainstream media, um, mainstream media will put out a couple of facts or maybe just a couple of assertions, not even necessarily proven true or false yet, but, um, you know, Russian collusion. <laughs> Trump colluded with Russians to steal the election. That's an assertion because that can be proven true or false. But in their attempts to prove it true, failed. Okay, so it's still an assertion, but it has yet to be proven true Therefore, it is not a fact, and therefore, it does not ground any assessments, right? So the assessment that may come out of that is, oh, he's an evil dictator, right? That's an assessment, right? Because evil is a judgment word, right? And so to, to assign a judgment word, an, a, an opinion-based word, like good, bad, right, wrong, evil, whatever, um, that's a judgment and or a, what we're calling in this situation an assessment based on so either facts and assertions or not based on anything. Like you said earlier, oh, that guy's a jerk, right? Well, okay, that's an assessment. There's no, th that cannot be proven true or false. Like you said, there is no jerkometer, okay? Mm -hmm. So because there is no objective way of establishing his jerkness, right? What we have is an assessment and you can ground that assessment for yourself. It's not that assessments are bad. Assessments are actually just as useful as assertions or facts. And so it's not like, oh, stick to facts and assertions, throw away assessments. No, no, no. Assessments are important. Assessments are definitely important in, in establishing and in discerning people that you trust, people that you choose to interact with or do business with, or sources of information, right? With what you may have an assessment that Fox News or CNN is unreliable, right? That's an assessment that cannot be proven true or false. Now, you may have individual assertions and facts that support that assessment. That's where that assessment becomes valuable, right? So if I were to say, okay, CNN is unreliable. And I say, well, on this date, at this time, they had a news story where they reported, th they made this statement, this assertion, right? As if it were a statement that could be proven true or false. And then they made this statement as an assertion. They made this statement as an assertion. And all three of those assertions have been proven false, but they acted as if they were true and they made assessments and reported assessments as if they were true. So therefore, the information I'm synthesizing based on these assertions, facts or lack thereof, and assessments that they are an unreliable news source or an unreliable source of information. So 
that now that's going to have me untrusting of that source. Does it mean everything that comes out of that source of information is unreliable? Does it mean every assertion they make is false? No, it doesn't. And that's where that bias we were talking about earlier at the beginning can, can have us reject useful information because we have an assessment that it's not a reliable source, but we shouldn't allow that assessment, a judgment, right? Interfere with the nature of information itself, which is neutral. Right. So or the we, receiving process of information itself. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> how, how we choose to allow that information in so that we can synthesize something else from it, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to immediately rejecting it because of an assessment we have on the source. Um, and this works both ways because if or you... Or even the topic. <laughs> yeah. Right, because even if you... And, and this works both ways in that... If you see, you know, let's hop to the other side of the spectrum here. So I, if my assessment is, is that CNN is the most reliable source of information, right? So now anything in every piece of information that comes out, I just buy it up without being discerning of it. Like, okay, what are the assertions being made here? Have these assertions or can these assertions be proven true or false? And what is the conclusion? What's the assessment? What are the, the other things being thrown in with this information, right? So, because you can have, bam, fact, bam, fact, bam, fact, bam, fact. You can have three actual facts, but if you take those facts and say, well, what that means is X, right? It doesn't necessarily mean X because this is now we've taken facts And we've alluded to that these facts support or ground an assessment, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily. That's another another thing that we have to do with neutral information is make a distinction, discern whether or not these facts, if true, do they ground this assessment, right? So, for instance, I can make an assessment, Jinji is unreliable. And I can say, well, based on the fact that he drinks milk out of a straw, he leaves the refrigerator open, um, he only drives on Thursdays. Like, okay, these may be true. These these may be actual facts. Yes, okay, Gingy (laughs) drinks milk through a straw. Um, He occasionally does leave the refrigerator open. And he only drives on Thursdays. None of those are true. (laughs) (laughs) But does it mean he's unreliable? You know, like you, you have to like, you have to make the connection. If these facts are true, do they in fact ground the opinion slash assessment that's being thrown out with it? So this, I got a, I've had this come up for me about five times so far. I did a grand experiment a few years ago where I actually went down the rabbit hole of flat earth theory and (laughs) using this process I literally came to the conclusion after probably six months of daily research that these guys have every single bit of information possibly needed. They, they have like, for instance, there's some NASA video that was released 
that as they're sitting there, you can see a bubble come up <laughs> as if they're underwater. And they're like, you see, this is a fraudulent video, which means NASA is, is a fraudulent organization, which means that they're lying to us about the shape of the planet, which means the Earth is flat. And they literally jump through these hoops based off right. of this one bit of information. And right. so using what you're talking about, I'm like, okay, the information means if true, if proven true, that this is a fraudulent release from NASA or right. it's been misunderstood or something, but right. they are not in outer space. They're underwater somewhere on the planet. Cool. How do we get to the earth is flat? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. That is the, the perfect example because it is doing that. It's, it's taking, okay, you've got a fact. And let's say, and that has to do with also your uh, capacity to interpret some old film or, or, you know, was it a bubble? You know, like that you have to take into consideration too because the assertion there is that in this video, they are underwater, not in space, but they're reporting to be in space. Okay, let's say that's true, okay? And what exactly what you said is that these other, these other things that they try to kind of shove through the door with that fact, it, it doesn't follow, right? Like they even can be saying related, like if right. the one organization that always goes into space for us has right. never been to space. And if right. we can prove these videos that they've released are from the planet, then we can prove, you know, and kind of connecting the strings that way. But this right. was the nature of all of the facts that they brought up that prove the earth is flat. If you go on and look at the long list of proof, they're all in this type of nature. I've yet, and I honestly, I stopped looking. So like, to me, it's entirely possible that the world is flat because I've never been outside the atmosphere personally. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to take someone else's word for it at this point. But my best guess is that it's not flat. It's at least right. round or roundish, <laughs> spherical-ish. Spherical. I'm one of the spherical guys. Yeah. Um, but it was a really awesome exercise in testing my worldview because it's something that I could never, something that I can almost guarantee I've never had firsthand personal experiential knowledge of, whether you know it's flat or round. And everything right. that they were saying is. Here's what gravity is. It's a constant acceleration. And here's what um, here's what the sun and the moon are doing. And they're doing this thing like this. And here's what these old documents say and everything else. It's like, yeah, yeah, it all kind of makes sense. But where's the proof? Like, oh, well, right here, fake NASA video. What, or, what, what right about, <laughs> well, how do they dispel all of physics? <laughs> I'm just curious. Do they find like one flaw in some physical law, and they say, therefore, all physics is bullshit? Some just... of it is like, because no scientist has described what gravity is, right. just the effects of it, right. it's left for open for interpretation. So they, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on, which okay. their definition of gravity is well, G-force, but it's a constant acceleration at 1G upward. But gravity's not constant. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I that's a, that's one thing I remember from physics class is like gravity at the top of uh, the Himalayan mountains is different acceleration rate 
than gravity at the bottom of the lowest trench or valley on the planet. I mean, it's it's not a huge difference, yeah. but the, it is a measurable difference. The rate of acceleration is interesting. Or like the video that I sent you, like the kid with the tennis ball. Oh, I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna bring that up. I love that video. Come at Boom. me, bro. That just happened. Come at me, no, bro. Come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. <laughs> Didn't did he use a plate too? Did he do water in the plate and then water yeah, on the so, ball and the water so, falls off the ball and he's all boom, flatter. <laughs> come at so me, the, bro. So the whole video. I mean, I'm sure the dude was joking. It was an awesome video, but yeah. he takes a tennis ball and a cup of water and pours on top of the tennis ball and all the water runs off and falls off. He goes, spherical Earth, please, and he grabs a plate like a dinner plate. <laughs> And pours water on it, it all stays on it. He goes, come at me, bro. <laughs> Basically <laughs> implying that <laughs> that water could not stick to a globe. If Basically, the way that water in the earth works is exactly the same as a cup of water and a tennis ball right. within and, and, the atmosphere. And that's exactly what we were talking about. Like, here, there's the assertion, right? There's information. Water, yeah, if I pour water on a tennis ball, it runs off, right? If I pour water on a plate, it sits. Therefore, the earth is flat. Like those don't go together. But you actually, you do see these kind of logical leaps in mainstream media all the time. All the time. And they're just as ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's funny for us, that example, it's it's amusing. I remember when you sent me that video. That so was, many was... people talk crap about flat Earth theory. It's really easy right. to like make light of that, but reality right. is, those types of leaps are happening in mainstream science, in academia, in politics, in everything right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I feel that this conversation and the importance is that is is tapping into our capacity to make these discernments between. What's assertion? What's fact? What are the assessments? Are the facts grounding these assessments? Does it logically follow? Right. Um, and this also helps to alleviate that whole absolute relativism thing. Put those two words together. So, <laughs> <laughs> because there's this in in like postmodernism, there's this relativism, right? That that everything is relative. Right, that there are no facts, that in fact, facts are just a tool by oppressors to oppress the oppressed, right? That there's no such thing as facts. Everything is relative. And, uh, okay, let's, let's take that into consideration for a moment. And we've talked about this because we make distinctions between facts and truth. And I know we did that on one of our past episodes where we make that distinction between what's fact and what's truth. Here's the problem I have with that, is that, okay, you could throw that out there, that everything is relative, and to some degree, I could even make an argument for that in that there's always that element of interpretation, right? Um, like the statement that it's 70 degrees in this room, right? And I have a thermometer that says it's 67. Well, now the argument can be made on the the nature of thermometers, the nature of temperature, what is, does the, is the thermometer measuring my experience of the temperature? Like 
you can really start to twist things up. But then there's like, okay, but now you've taken away any way for us to be effective with this information. There is a context that information comes with that is important. So for instance, if we say uh, we're doing an experiment and the nature of the experiment, let's say it's some kind of chemical reaction, is that the water must be at least minimum 70 degrees for this reaction to occur. And we put a thermometer in the water and it's 67. And, there, and the, the reaction won't occur till it's 70. Well, we can see as soon as we try to make the reaction work that it's not 70 degrees because the reaction isn't happening, which is, I mean, a, a little more complex of a model than the actual, the thermometer itself. Because I mean, really that's the thermometers reacting to the environment as well. However, there's, if we need, we need to be able to establish if it's 70 degrees or not <laughs> in order to conduct the experiment. So to just say, yeah, no, man, it's all relative. No, there's no truth. There's no facts. Uh, that's such an ineffective way of looking at the world that nothing could be accomplished or done that you couldn't act on information if none of it had any meaning at all. So, right. and, 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 and I say that there's an importance to, to the, the context of information too. In fact, there's this great example I don't remember his name. Fernando Flores. His mm -hmm. book, it was either Computers and I believe it was Computers and Cognition. And he's and he kind of speaks into this relativism of things and the and the nature of facts, but also with relation to uh actionable information or the context of of, of which the information is being conveyed in. And the example in the book is there are two college roommates sitting on a couch watching television, okay? Um, he may have even given some detail, like one of the roommates was a major in biology, physics or something like that. And the other one was a, uh, uh, let's say he majored in postmodernism, right? So no, let's not do that because that'll, <laughs> that'll, that'll screw them all up. Um, we'll say his major was in the social sciences, some way, shape or form, psychology or something. And, uh, the psychologist, the psychology majors, you know, sitting there, he's like, man, I'm thirsty. I'm going to, I'm going to get something to drink. He's like, is there any water in the fridge? And, uh, his, his roommate, the, the, the physics major says, oh yeah, there's water in the fridge. Okay. Gets up, he goes to the fridge, opens it up. The fridge is empty. Right. He comes back. He's all, dude, you said there was water in the fridge. There's no water in the fridge. He's like, yeah, there is. Well, nah -uh. I just went, I checked, I opened it up. There's nothing in the fridge. So yeah, but the nature of a refrigerator, it's condensing air. There's all kinds of water molecules floating around in there. So the truth, <laughs> the fact is that there is water in the refrigerator. Okay. So was his original statement that there is water in the refrigerator? Is that a fact? Yes. But from the context of where his roommate was asking the question, is it a fact? So I would say that it's, it is a fact, but the question was not specific enough for his listener. <laughs> yeah, but the context was, he said, man, I'm thirsty. Oh, man, I'm thirsty. Oh, I'm that's right. Go get something to drink. 
Yeah. So I'm thirsty. Can I get some water from the fridge? Yeah. Is there any water in the fridge? Yeah. There's water in the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so again, there's, and and so in that sense, you can, you can kind of twist that around and make it a relativistic statement, right? In that like, okay, true, technically speaking, there is water in the fridge and that there are H2O molecules floating around in the fridge. But from the context of where the question was being asked of, you know, from a place of I'm thirsty, I'm going to get something to drink. Is there any water in the fridge? Then the, the answer to that question is no. And to say that there is water in the fridge is a false statement based on the context. Do you see that? Because it's clear from the context that He's looking for water to drink. <laughs> I'm thirsty to get something to drink. Is there water in the fridge? I'm not asking from a standpoint of physics. I'm thirsty. I want, I'm going to get something to drink. Oh, and then by the way, technically speaking, on the level <laughs> of physics and molecules, is there H2O molecules floating around the fridge? That's not, that doesn't follow. Okay. That's like so, uh, my, my friend, she's, she's always telling me this, but there's a, a story that she talks about the context of the person asking the question and how the language could be misinterpreted easily. And she gives this example. She says, um, husband's about ready to go to the grocery store. And he says to his wife, do you need anything? And she says, oh, yeah, get uh, one carton of milk. And if there's eggs, grab six. And he comes home with six (laughs) cartons of milk. (laughs) And she's like, "What, what the hell are you doing? He said, you told me if they have eggs there to grab six cartons of milk. <laughs> and she's like, well, no. The context, I was talking about the eggs. Milk, right. done. Eggs is now the news to stop subject. <laughs> so <laughs> the interpretation there, I'm like, that that's important. Understanding the context. But it's also easily misunderstood, misinterpreted. Right. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that's... Uh was one of the underlying themes of that particular book, computers and cognition was Mm. kind of dispelling the mythology of like artificial intelligence in the, in the sense of uh, like self-aware consciousness, you know, that, 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 that artificial intelligence will always be in the place of the physics student. You ask artificial intelligence, is there water in the fridge? And it can't necessarily make those discernments. And actually that statement, which is like a, it's a logic statement, right? Right. Yes. Get a carton of milk. If there are eggs, get six. (laughs) Like, okay, get six cartons of milk. You know, like like that may be how artificial intelligence may construct that. But now it's also showing that human beings can be just as, dense or thick or unaware <laughs> as the machine can be. It's like, that's the, uh, the surface level interpretation, which honestly, I think a lot of guys and myself particularly tend to take language at face value. Like, uh, I forget, I was, you know, having some conversations with people, but I, I don't remember who it was. And, and something came up where it was like, uh, Oh, now I'm trying to remember. Um, anyway, something something right down the line of that where I'm not going to remember. Anyway, <laughs> the same same type of thing. 
Right. I just got distracted my dog over here. In your, in your thought process. Yep. Okay. So I, you know, this actually, I feel like we've done a fair bit of justice on this subject. Um, I guess I, I, an element, I don't know if we've spoken enough into it, or maybe we can speak at it from another point of view. Um, like, uh, information that may be conveyed. It's almost like information is conveyed, especially nowadays, like in the form of a, a meme, right? So a meme, and, and I'm, I'm equating this to how that delivery of information, let's say on mainstream media, right? It's, there's a meme there in that there's, there's perhaps context, information, that are kind of presented together in a way to convey an idea, right? A concept that is more, that is maybe greater than the sum of the parts, so to speak. Um, and so we were talking earlier that, you know, when the, if the mainstream media conveys information and there's, there's facts or information contained within it, and then there's this, maybe not a logical progression or that there's maybe it's presented with certain inflections or that it's presented with a certain context or that it's given a certain meaning or con certain conclusions that don't necessarily logically follow or presented. And I see this also with, I can see this contained in, in a, this entire process being propagated uh, through memes, right? So meme is kind of like a self-contained concept in that you're conveying by the nature of imagery and words and things like that, you're conveying a concept that the concept is beyond just the elements of the, the meme itself. Um, and, and this isn't, a, I know nowadays like a meme is considered anything that basically if I take a graphic and throw some text on it, that's a meme. Uh, maybe. I would say that are you creating or generating a meme or a new concept, or are you synthesizing a meme from disparate types of information? Um, like if you take, I've seen people do this, and these are, these are considered memes on the internet where they take a graphic or maybe an animated GIF from a scene in a movie, and then in text will be like what that person is saying in that scene. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're not really generating a new meme. You know, you're not, <laughs> that's not, that's not the creative pro The meme was already contained in that scene in the movie, right? Um, that the concept that's being carried by the, the action between the characters and what's being said by the characters, there is contained within that the meme that you've now synthesized in the form of an animated graphic with some text. And this, this way of delivering this, this meme form of information is, is very effective and can be extremely influential and powerful. And in fact, we see it throughout history. But yeah, nowadays a meme is seen as, you know, oh, mixing some graphics with some text and posting it on your Facebook or something. However, if you look at the painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, that's a meme in that it's a, it's a painting by Michelangelo of God and Adam and, you know, 
kind of reaching God, kind of reaching his hand out and you know, kind of connecting with Adam. And you could, and one of the means, so again, there's, there's the elements of the painting itself, but there's a, there's a concept and a meaning in that meme that you could see as maybe the, like one of the memes I see in that is the divine nature of man, right? That divine element that is within mankind. Uh, or you could see it as the concept that that mankind is uh, has a direct connection to uh, divinity or something along those lines. Um, but that's a meme. The statue of Atlas holding the world on his shoulder, or the thinker sitting there on a stool. There's there's more to it than go. Oh, that's a dude with his you know with his fist on his chin. There, it's not just a pretty view. Right. And, and there's more to it than that. It's, it's conveying. These are ancient forms of memes. And nowadays, because information is delivered in, or really always, information can be delivered in this meme type fashion, you can, and this is, I, the reason I brought this into the conversation is this is what happens oftentimes in mainstream media, especially in news broadcasts, where you're getting and you're getting us some imagery. Let's say it's live from Syria, right? And it's like there's stuff happening, whether it's, I don't know, bombs going off or, you know, maybe poor people on the streets, whatever it is. But there's a narrative that's accompanying it. So they're, they're creating a meme in that the imagery is meant to make you think in a certain way and they're now delivering you some information that based on the imagery is going to have you convey that or have you perceive that information in a certain way. And this is, I'd say, one of the more insidious forms of propaganda because we can, based on the psychology of, of human beings, we can display certain imagery, which we know will put people in a certain state of mind and a certain receptivity and a certain way of thinking, and then drop pieces of information with the imagery that can be used in different ways. Like, um, like for instance, you could have, you know, people killing each other and bombs going off and people blowing up. But if the language coming in is like, oh, freedom of these people and they're, you know, the throwing off of the evil dictator and the, and the liberation. And you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden the horrors <laughs> of what's happening in the imagery are being dismissed as something good, something positive. Right. And if I do this over and over and over again, I have these horrifying images, but I'm constantly dropping like, this is a good thing. This is positive. Isn't this great? Right. Then you start to associate like, you, you start to see these things differently. Like, so now when the imagery of war comes up, you don't react to it in horror. You react to it as, oh, freedom. <laughs> it's freedom. Well, it's, interesting it's good that, stuff. It's It's interesting that you say that because I was like immediately thinking bombs blowing up and people dying and buildings coming down. And I was like, what a gruesome scene. Like, I wouldn't want to be in a situation where that kind of, you know, is going on around me. And then you started saying, yeah, but it's for liberty and to overflow this dictator. And I immediately felt the emotional shift from like 
catastrophic, oh no, people are suffering. And as you're like, oh, you just got to dismiss it. And in my mind, I was like, it's not really a dismissal. It's like a transmutation or a shift from looking at it from one light to another light. Right. However, there was a complete dismissal of the emotion that came along with the first one. Right. I was like, no longer did I feel bad that these people were dying, <laughs> getting blown to shreds and buildings collapsed because they're getting rid of a tyrannical, oh, this is just right. some part of history. This is what happens. It became as if it was emotionally neutral. Right. And that's, and that's what, and that's, like I said, this meme, this meme way of conveying information yeah. is insidious in that it's really, cha- it's, it's impacting the psychology of human beings, right? Because what they'll do is they'll start off there. The narrative is going to start before the imagery comes up, right? And so you'd be like, oh, all the bad guys, all, we're getting all the bad guys, and it's a great thing for all the good guys. And then they start showing the imagery of just you know, death and destruction. But you're, you're already in the space of, we're getting the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. We're getting all the bad guys, and all the good guys are more, you know, like, so you're, they've already, the narrative has begun. They're already priming you, and then they start showing the imagery. And it's now you've associated the imagery with the narrative, okay? So this meme of imagery with the narrative can actually have a a much deeper impact on people because if all you're getting is narrative without the imagery, it's much easier for you to discern the information and to make something up about the information and to make conclusions about the information or to see, to be able to make the distinction of, these are facts, these are assertions, these are assessments, and no, this conclusion does not logically follow. You see, now, it's much easier to wrap it up and to disguise it when, you're, when you, there's this disassociation between the imagery and the information. Now, the, there's something that we've talked about regarding like uh, experiential education or uh, knowledge or something like that. But right. when, learning, you, when you- t- Learning modalities. Right. So there's like visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Yeah, I forget all of them. But when Got it. all- uh, that suppose, They've kind of thrown in a one they call digital now, but yeah, auditory, mm-hmm. visual, kinesthetic. Those are the three physical, we're seeing, hearing, and touching. Those are three modalities. And now they've thrown in a digital, which I, I guess there's a distinction there, I, but I just see it as a combination of those three. Like, for instance, right. if you're on your iPad and doing something, you could have maybe a certain app that involves kinesthetic touch. There's visual stimulation and auditory stimulation, but it's still you're still working on those three modalities. Right, even though they're all kind of combined as one, and certain people have certain strengths and certain modalities. So, like, you know, a certain percentage of what you see, depending on where your strength and learning modalities is, is going to be retained. A certain percentage of what you hear, and a certain percentage of what you actually engage with. Because I, I feel like kinesthetic can be more than just oh, touch. You know, it's there's an embodiment, there's an engagement with something that is going is is going to really it's going to 
have you embodying some kind of an experience or some kind of learning that is going to be more likely retained than any other modality in that. Like, for instance, I can watch 100 hours of video watching someone build a house. I'm going to see them using their tools. I'm going to see the saws and I'm going to see the hammers and I'm going to see the nails. I'm going to see the boards. However, <laughs> that I can watch a hundred hours of that. It doesn't mean, okay, I'm ready and I'm going to go out and you know get the saw, get the hammer, get the boards. And all of a sudden I can build a house. However, if I'm working with someone and they're showing me, and I'm actually putting the boards up and I'm actually cutting the boards. And it takes a lot less in that embodiment element and that kinesthetic element in, in that uh, involvement with my, what I'm learning is going to be much more retained. And that's why in a lot of the workshops and things that we've put together, we involve that experiential element to learning because much more is retained. You know, you can watch a hundred hours of building a house, but it's nothing like building a house. Right. right. And so I'm wondering well, if that experiential education or even uh, absorption, I'll call it, if that's at all touched on in meets. It is because there's the experiential. So like we were just saying in the example of like combining certain imagery, Right with certain narrative, there's an experience happening there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you may, and, 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 and not only in like, let's say a newscast, this is like, this is in movies, this is in television shows, this is in, whenever you have a combination of narrative and imagery, you can really start to mess with <laughs> the psychology of your audience because you have that power of combining narrative with imagery um, like for instance, uh, look, look at how much in our society there's, uh, movies, television shows where there are men who are killing and being killed, whether it's a war movie or whatever it is, but there's the narrative, right. Of, you know, whether it's the narrative of the sacrifice of that individual for others, whether it's the narrative of the bravery and the courage and the service to whatever, right. whether it's your God or whether it's your country or whatever, there's, you see that what they're doing there is the imagery. You get, you've had the imagery, people being killed, people, men being killed, men being killed, men being killed. And then this narrative, right? This is how we've, been able to over a few generations completely dehumanize men and make them like now hearing about and seeing the death of men, especially like soldiers and things like that has much less effect and impact on people because there's been this constant conveyance of these memes where the imagery of men being killed has been delivered with these narratives that make it acceptable, right? Not only acceptable, but make it that even elevated, right? That it's, that it's a good thing, right? This is not just, okay, we'll tolerate it. No, that's, that's a good thing. So this has shaped our psychology and the way we interpret men dying, you know, and it, and it's really, it's, it's gone beyond warfare. Again, <clears throat> 
there's so much violence in films, in television shows. People being Not shot, true. shot, 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 shot. People constantly being shot, constantly being killed. Vehicles constantly blowing up, which never even happens in reality. <laughs> well, I think about video games where, like, Call of Duty. That's a game that came out not that long ago. A lot of kids are still playing it. I lost, like, a lot of hours of my days to it. <laughs> and my roommate at one point had an Xbox and, and had, like, three of them or something. Like, Anyway, I, I played it so much that even walking around or driving around or being in the real world, I would think, you know, like crosshairs and exactly where to put them and how to <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and like, oh, Chad, I could get a double kill easy doing that. <laughs> or, okay, here's an even better example. Um, so Grand started, Theft Auto. Let, let, so, so you started to see the world through the lens of the game. Yeah, but you're, you're going you're gonna to get a kick out of this. So there's another game called Grand Theft Auto where it's literally a dude that you like take him to a pizza shop and he gets food and his health goes up. And you take him to the gym and you make him work out and his muscles get bigger. <laughs> and you take him over here and you can like shoot somebody, kill them. Then now you've got cops coming after you. Take their car, drive around, steal a helicopter, and I got more cops and whatever. You can literally do anything you want in this video game. Right. And I played that for probably three months straight with all my spare time. And I would literally be driving around on the road and have the thought of... Oh, I could just open that guy's door, punch him in the face, throw him on the ground and drive around this awesome new car, take it back to my house and put it in my garage. <laughs> but there was never like a desire to do that or even a desensitization <clears throat> desensitization to when <laughs> I would I would see like somebody getting roughed up in real life or somebody getting shot in real life. There was like there's a disconnect between the video game experience and and it was very experiential because I'm sitting here on a controller running around. I'm hearing stuff. I'm talking to people on a microphone. Um, very experiential. But what's the disconnect between those? Because it didn't, I feel like it didn't impact my behavior as much, almost like my expectation of the world. So it was more subtle for sure. Right. And, and again, because it is being, there are those elements there with, the at least the imagery part of it, right? But what you have to take into consideration is the lack of narrative and context going with it, right? Um, yeah, I guess it was so, like reliving old war zones or San right. Andreas instead of like. <laughs> anyway. Right. So so you could look at it that way, in that there was there was a and there was this element of the narrative kind of lacking in that in that particular case where you're playing the video game, but you're not being constantly fed a narrative about what's happening in the game. Now, gotcha. here's where the danger and risk is, is that, but if you've already been fed a narrative around violence, you're going to bring the narrative to the game. So if you've already kind of been fed this narrative, like, uh, and, I'll, and here's a meme, right? Uh, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, um, which basically has people take the, an orientation of life that um, get yours, 
um, regardless of how it affects others. Right? Um, that is a pervasive me in that they're, especially as the generations have gone on, we saw in early, you know, if we go back into the early 20th century, the values and morals and ethics and that people were raised with had there were, it was it was more prevalent in our society for people to be focused outside of themselves and on others and and be concerned about the welfare and and well-being of people around them and then you get towards the end of the 20th century and you have this kind of shift and reversal of that where with the baby boomers there was this you know focus on self more than their parents' generation of focus out on other. And, and that has gotten to the point now where <clears throat> it's, there's, there's now an element of tribalism being integrated into that in that it's not so much about self anymore. It's, uh, and this is, again, this isn't if, in every aspect and in every ideology, but what, what is apparent to me is that there is this tribalism that's emerging where the focus of that's got, went from other, right, being focused out on other people, being more prevalent to the being focused on self, being more prevalent till now we're at the point where it's focused on a tribe versus other tribes. Whereas, and it's, and, it, and I feel like this is kind of a, this is definitely heading in a direction in that even with the baby boomers being focused on self, it wasn't necessarily at the expense or detriment of others. And now this new tribalism is it's focused on a group. We like, let's get rid of the individual identity and individual freedoms and liberties and the individual altogether. And it's now it's about our group to the detriment of groups outside of our group. Like that's kind at of at least it I doesn't see. exclude that for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. So I've, that's kind of, so I've seen that as this is a continuation of it. We've kind of got a, uh, an echo chamber, right? Where you have a, a positive feedback loop and that because what's been being fed to people generation after generation through media and things like that, you've had this, this turning and twisting through this feedback loop, right? And I mean, you can go back to the 40s and they had movies with killing and war. And, and so this is something that's been, that has, that has been affecting culture, at least our culture, for mm -hmm. decades now, close to, or over a half century, that we've been being affected by the, these memes that come to us through movies and news reports and television shows and, and things like that. Like even like, look at advertising, like a billboard, a billboard's a meme, right? Right. Remember, yeah. Like the Marlboro man, right? The Marlboro man was like, well, if you're cool and you kick ass and you're tough and you're, you know, well, then you smoke. <laughs> You so you're a Marlboro man. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, that's, that's what's being conveyed there, right? Um, and 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 all advertising. If there's a meme there, um, like the commercials for, let's say, a high-end car, or no, my favorite are the Budweiser commercials, right? Or a beer in general, right? 
<laughs> that, you know, you drink beer, especially these, you know, crappy, huge brand beers. Well, then, you know, hot chicks are going to be hanging out near you and you're going to be like having so much fun and all your bros are going to think you're cool. And you know what I mean? Like that's the me, right? The, yeah. They're not saying that. They're not saying like, hey, drink Budweiser. Chicks will dig you and you're going to be cool. And you know, they're not, those aren't the words that are being conveyed, right? But there, if you see, there's imagery, right? So that's and the impression. Exactly. There's the imagery that's coming through with the narrative, right? And so it's, 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 when you take them together, there's a meme there, something that goes beyond the parts, right? Like if you were to just take the soundtrack from a Budweiser commercial or just the video track of a Budweiser commercial, it wouldn't have the impact. And the same with a newscast. <clears throat> and this is like, this is kind of a practice right. mm. that I feel that if you, if you really start to distinguish and make the distinction from imagery and narrative as it's being conveyed to you, separate them like turn off the audio to the audio track of a newscast and what's the impact <laughs> right or, my dad used to do that in scary movies when we were kids like uh oh there's a the violent scene coming up and you'd hear the feel of suspense and, the and then all of a sudden mute <laughs> and then everyone's like what's going on and you see the person jump out from the back and maul this person and we're all like man that poor guy just got messed up by what looks like a clown right that's weird and then he unmutes it and we're like oh <laughs> like the suspense and the emotion comes back right but that's like part of the, and, and the combination is important exactly yes yeah. and if you make movies you know all about the soundtrack and the importance of the soundtrack like the soundtrack is how is is so important in in not the soundtrack. The they call it the score. Is that the sound the the effects with the sound? The score? Right. So like okay. the soundtrack would be all the pop tunes they play in like all the scenes. Well, but I'm looking the at score from, would be like the from, undertone from a, the rest of the audio from a video production where I have a video track and I have a soundtrack. <laughs> so that's how I'm seeing it. I'm, I like, yes, the I do sound, realize got it. that the soundtrack of Dirty Dancing is, you know, a collection of songs used to come <laughs> on CDs. Now I imagine you can download it from mm. iTunes. But uh, yes, so the score is so important. It's such a significant element that if you were to cut out like your dad did, like that's actually, that's a great play in the psychology of those memes, right? When you start to combine mm -hmm. the sound and the imagery and things like that, that's what creates the experience. Whereas if you cut one of those elements out, all of a sudden it doesn't have the same impact. It's, you don't have the same experience right. around it. And this is what's being done in mainstream media, in, in all these authoritative sources of information, whether it be politicians or uh, media producing companies, they're, Information is being delivered in, in, a, in a way, um, in this meme-like fashion, that is having not only an effect on how you interpret it, but it's having an effect on your psychology. And unless you wake up to your capacity to make, and make discernments, make distinctions, 
neutralize the information, regardless of the source, whether you see this as a reliable source of information or an unreliable source of information, neutralize the information. The information is just information. And then be able to make the distinction, separate it out from assertions, facts, and assessments, and be able to then also draw your own conclusions. This is where we started out this conversation was yep. in our capacity to synthesize information is where we have power with it, as opposed to information having power over us. And this is what, and this is, you know, the conversation starts, started in mass hysteria, right? That's information having power over people. That's the cause of which, this of mass hysteria and that really and tremendous about to understand fear. that. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's really important to understand that because if we sit back and just absorb what's being fed, we're going to start creating all types of ideas and experiences of the world that aren't necessarily of our choice of our choosing. Right. Whereas if we're intentional and we can hear and discern the differences of what's going on, then we can, I don't want to say get to an element of truth, but we can choose how and which, what information we do accept based off the information, not the source or not the, uh, the topic in general or based off of any bias, but be able to say that's a big jump between a NASA video and the whole planet being flat. Right. That's a big jump between whatever the other two diameters are, parameters are. Be able to say, okay, the information, got it. Is this the same conclusion that I would draw? Right. And it's it's kind of like growing up when when you're a kid, you believe everything your parents say as if it is the word of God. There's a Santa Claus. This is the <laughs> best news I've ever heard. You know. Right. And as you get older, as we all get older, there's an element of like rebellion or um, challenging well, what your and parents where, and say. Where, but where does that come from? I don't even know. Well, I'm sure it comes it's from, from Santa Claus. It's because, and I'm not saying it's all Santa Claus's fault, but right, that's just, just because you do. Now, this is this actually speaks it to an important aspect of this conversation, which is authority. Right. If you already have a bias that this authority, whether it's CNN, whether it's some political party, whatever, if you look at that authority as a source of facts and truth, right, and that what they say and what they do is reliable, it is trustworthy and actionable. Okay. If we consider that, and that's what you do as a child with your parents. Right. So you 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 put them into that position of authority of information that whatever comes out of them is absolutely 100 percent truth, fact and unquestionable and reliable. Right. You just that's where you hold your parents. And then you start to realize they're dumbasses and that they lie to you. <laughs> things like that. So there's a total breach in this trust. Right. So. Like you, I mean, by the time you're 11 years old, you've pretty much lost all trust with your parents because you're like, yeah, that whole that whole Santa <laughs> Claus thing, that was a bunch of shit, you know? So you already are kind of like, you know, they're not trustworthy. So you start looking outside of them and maybe you put that in teachers, right? And then you realize your teacher's an idiot at some point and you're like, well, 
they got this wrong. I looked it up and it, you know, so you, you're constantly looking for an authority of information and trust is broken. And, uh, and we'll have a conversation some other day about authentic trust and building trust. But that as soon as that trust is broken, if there's not a conscious and intentional effort to rebuild trust and, and the distinction between blind trust and, and authentic trust, well, then it's just a broken trust. So now it's just an unreliable source of information. And so you start to see teachers as unreliable sources of information. You start to see um, uh, uh, parents as unreliable sources of information. You start to see friends as unreliable sources of information. And then the only reason that we can buy into mainstream media being a source, a, a reliable source of information and, and give that and not have that trust be broken is that they literally are proactively reinforcing through propaganda how great their information is. You know what I mean? like your, your teachers, your parents, they don't have a PR firm. You know, they don't have people no going, no, yeah. But, you know, they were like, look, you know, Santa Claus, like that, that whole thing. Like, look, here, I'm going to explain to you why, you know, what, why they told you what they told you and the, the way that they said it made it actually that it was true. And, but this is things that the media do. Like, hey, no, 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 we weren't wrong. You know, like, like, and then they, and this is spinning a story, right? No, 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 we didn't right. lie. We weren't wrong. And they've got entire departments of people, dozens, hundreds of people whose attention is focused in how do we spin things so that we're always right, right? <laughs> how do we save face? Yeah, how do we save face? <laughs> um, and that's, and your parents don't have that. And your teachers don't have that. And so- And in fact, they had no desire to. They were like, right. well, yeah, we lied. Santa Claus yeah. is bullshit. Yeah, totally. Welcome to adulthood. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because they're at the same place. Like, and so there's been this, this programming. I mean, this is just kind of, I'm just now looking at this as a possibility. But there's been this programming within society that the only reliable source of information is mainstream media. Because, yeah, or at least the experts. Right. Because right. you can label anybody as experts. I'm even looking at Facebook where they've got fact checkers right. that don't even check the facts. <laughs> they just erase stuff from the record. Right. Or they there's make... not any sites or sourcing nope. or, hey, <laughs> you need to do that. <laughs> there's no fact checking. Right. But that's, kind of that's the propaganda, though. That's that propaganda yeah. arm that's saying, yeah, everything, everything from us is all right. Everything from us is true. Everything from those other people over there, that's false. Here, here's an independent fact checker that says so. Uh, and one, then you look at it. Guy. Yeah. And then you look at it and you're like, wait, okay, so which facts are being rebutted here? What are they being rebutted with? But it, without that power yeah. to discern. So again, neutralize the information. Don't just consider every fact check false because there have been false fact checks, right? The fact check itself is just information. So neutralize it and then make the distinctions, make the discernment like, okay, what's, what are the assertions here? Can they be proven true or false? What are the facts based on those true assertions or the, the assertions proven true? And what are the assessments that we can logically and reasonably and rationally draw or use to ground our assessments, right? 
then you have a power with the information. Whereas if you just take it as, oh, that's been debunked because that guy in that article says so, right? Like, then you have no power with information. Information has power over you. If you just take it like, oh, well, that was debunked. When, how, where? Show me. Yeah. Right? And then and in being fact, able to I've distinguish. I've seen a lot of debunking where they intentionally leave out an aspect of it. Right. Intentionally or unintentionally. No, but it's I, not the entire my favorite. My favorite is when they're not even speaking to the relevant facts of something. Like, oh, that's been debunked. Like, uh, like say, okay, so let's say you've got this article, right? And it's like, uh, it's a study that says masks are pointless, right? It's a scientific study. They did this, you know, controlled random testing and showed that the mask had zero effect on the spread of a virus, right? The fact checker comes in and goes, no, but yeah, but published 12 years ago, it said it did. Therefore, this article's false. No, it means what you have is two different two different scientific studies that say two different things. Now let's look at what were the methods used in these scientific studies. You see, what are each and this study is, actually showing. Exactly, exactly. And how were these conclusions? Because remember, conclusion that masks are effective, dude, that's an assessment. That's an assessment. What are the facts? What does... Does, does, the mask, does the mask prevent the virus from flying through the mask? No. <laughs> like the mask, the virus goes right through it, right? So, okay, so that's not the case. So what is it? Oh, well, there's spittle. <laughs> there's this, you know, the, the, the crap that you spit Aerosols out Aerosols and globules. Yeah, aer aerosols and globules of moisture that contain the virus. Well, how much of the virus is in those mo globules? Of, of moisture and is it actually preventing it from spreading if it's how much of it is in the air that's going right through the mask right and if we're talking about effective is it effective at preventing the spread of the virus well what's effective right and what's the impact because we may not even be talking about like what was one of the things that that fauci said earlier oh he said that, uh, yeah, everybody wear a mask, that's fine, because at least it'll be a reminder to you not to touch your face. <laughs> and well, and they like, even spoke into the psychological element. He spoke into the psychological well, I mean. element at one point that he said, oh, it'll make people around you feel safer. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> and that's an <laughs> That doesn't aspect. stop the spread of a virus. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't stop the spread of a virus. But, but if okay, you look yeah. at the big picture, it... Even that can contribute because now you oh, have absolutely. less anxiety, less stress, less fear, which are all contributing factors to actually getting it. Right. Now, is, is that, it as effective as something else? I don't know. That's a different story. Right. Yeah. But that's, I'd say that's the important aspect to look at with regards to information is first thing, neutralize it. No, don't judge information based on the source and distinguish it from its carrier elements, like dememe it, right? Dememe <laughs> it, dememe the information, de separate imagery from verbiage and, you know, like break it into its yeah. parts, 
you know, and and then analyze each part by making the distinctions of, you know, what are the assertions, what are the facts, what are the assessments or judgments made out of this? Because it's so funny to like, like people, oftentimes people see assessments as facts. Like, oh, well, masks are more effective than not having masks. That's an assessment. What do you mean by more effective? More effective at what? (laughs) You know, like, are people gonna not contract the disease if they wear a mask? No. So what do you mean? What does more effective mean? And what were the scales of effectiveness in this scientific study versus the scales of effectiveness or the metrics of effectiveness in this study? These are- or more effective compared to what? Exactly. So you have to be able to kind of piece, pull apart and, and really see information for what it is because so- there is no shortage of propaganda. Propaganda to propagate disinformation or misinformation, even if they are truthful in their language, there is still, there's a, there's a mean, right? There's a, there is an intended meaning or conclusion or even a ungrounded assessment that follows a series of facts, right? Like with the, the laptop thing with Hunter Biden now, right? They've come out and said, well, it's unverified. Nobody's denying that it's his laptop. Nobody's denying that these aren't his emails. Nobody's stating that these emails are fake. But they throw it out there, well, it's unverified. And the presumption assumption is that, oh, well, then it's not real. It's it's fake. It's fake. Yeah. So fake you can, news. And so that's that's a way of, of taking, it's that statement isn't necessarily false in that, if I'm a news reporter and I haven't verified the information, then I can say, well, this is, this is unverified information. It doesn't mean that someone else didn't verify it, right? I've made a truthful statement. I haven't verified it. Or my, or CNN, the company I work for, hasn't verified it. So I can say, yes, well, we haven't been able to, we haven't verified this information. So, so therefore, you know, we don't know if it's true. Like, that's not a false statement, but what's being conveyed is this is not trustworthy information, right? Yeah. What the language actually says is we haven't verified this. We have no comment. Right. But yeah, what's but implied they... underneath the information is that it's bad information. It's untrustworthy. Right. It's unreliable. It's false. Right. And, and then so the that's next show, we... and then the next ahead, show yeah. it come, that, that, that airs after this one they're having a casual conversation about it and they're making fun of it. Oh, you just so happened to find this laptop that had a Biden sticker on it. <laughs> what fucking idiots. You know what I mean? Like, so now they're, again, they're not making any false statements necessarily, but what's being conveyed in the inflection of the language that they are choosing to use, the way that they're acting, right? The imagery. There's the narrative and the imagery together. There's a meme. And the meme is, this is ridiculous, right? And so, and, and again, it's, it's building this on top of each other. So it's not like all the propaganda comes at you at once. It's coming to you in many different forms. And it's shaping the psych, your psychology in many different ways. And it's contained in many different memes. So even if it's, if it's propaganda or not, it's still 
extremely important to be able to understand and utilize these distinctions. Because Absolutely. if any information comes in, uh, to be able to take it and say, it's just information. What's the information aspects of it? Okay, this is saying this. Great. Now I can make up whatever conclusions or uh, interpretations of this that I want to and use that information intentionally. Check it against other information. If everybody's saying the same information, it might be reliable. But if everybody's saying it and you're not paying attention to the information and you're just going after whatever is implied behind the information, then it's easy to run with the information as if it's the the only interpretation of what's been presented. And right. then it comes the joking and everything else. And that's where you get into trouble because now you're not basing your actions, your beliefs, your emotions, your experiences of the world. You're not basing them off of what actually exists. You're basing right. them off of what act, what's implied behind what exists. Like all the new cases, that's great. But what's the experience of it? What's behind it? Can you look at that information and what do you actually want to do with it? What does it actually say? What are are some of the other relevant facts? Like, okay, that may be a fact in that, okay, you made an assertion. There are 10,000 new cases today. Okay. But we got to pull apart what are some of the other facts here. And I mean, really, we could really pull apart that statement if, okay, well, where are you getting these numbers? Oh, these are from the tests. Okay. And these tests are conducted on, well, these are people from Los Angeles. And how often do they get tested? Well, they get tested so many, you know, this many times each, you know, some of the people have been tested three times. Some of the people have been tested four times. Okay. So these people have been tested multiple times. Is that count for multiple tests and multiple, uh, uh, positives, Results. right? Because some some places of business they're testing these people every week. Well, if I'm getting tested every week right. or or every day, you know, I'm sure there's some places where you got to get tested every day. And but if, is that a if I'm if I got it and I test positive, and I test positive for three four days in a row, is that four new cases? I don't know. Exactly. But that's relevant facts <laughs> that we need to look at. And then we got to look at, okay, well, out of those, well, how many of them are hospitalized? Well, none of them. Oh, okay. So these aren't 10,000 serious cases, right? Uh, what's well, the age range? Yeah. Right. And what's <laughs> the age range of these people who have tested positive? Oh, between 20 and 30, which has a 0.03% death rate. So, so in reality, what you're saying is this ain't that big a deal. <laughs> you know, like when you start to really dissect it and pull it apart that you can eliminate that hysteria, which comes from multiple. There's many reasons we, and I feel like we've gone through many of them, but the hysteria comes from the fact that it's being presented a way to fear. And that's the multiple reasons for that. Like you said, the business model, if more people are going to watch, if I have something terrifying on the news, well, then I'm going to make it terrifying. Even if it's not that terrifying, you know, like, like 10,000 new cases that result in zero deaths. Like, that's not that terrifying. Like, okay, so 10,000 people tested positive. Nobody got seriously sick and nobody died. Okay, not that big a deal. Like, not, not necessarily a reason for me to tune in, right? And not necessarily a reason for me to be afraid. So, and it, so it could be in the sense that, like, like you said, the business model, that we just want more people to watch, therefore we're going to pump this up to make it seem a lot scarier well, more than, than it is. 
more than the business model, it's what's incentivized. And that comes from the business model, for sure. But even the business model is created because of other incentives. So, like, for instance, we don't incentivize or reward media companies for giving us just facts and information. Otherwise, all day, every day would be, here's just the information that you need all across the world by. There would be no emotion behind it. But in the same light. I I don't know if incentive is the right word, but you got to look at, again, in this. Well, they're rewarded. You may look, (laughs) you may, well, yeah, but who cares if the people at the news station are rewarded? When you're a publicly traded company, you answer to the stockholders. And if the stockholder, if you have low profits because people aren't watching your shows, well, that's not acceptable from the standpoint of the shareholders. And they have right. the power, especially those who hold large portions of the company, to eliminate board members, eliminate executives, bring in new executives, bring in new board members. So the incentive more than being truthful, I don't care what are you going to give them a truth award? Hey, you guys had the most facts this year. You know what I mean? Like if that doesn't have a direct correlation to how many people are watching and how much money we're making, I'm answering to the stockholders and stockholders say you must make more money. Right? So yeah. And if making money resulted from, for instance, not being biased or specific. You know, okay, so basically what I'm saying is that there's a monetary interest behind these things. And in order to make more money, they need to make more views. In order to make more views, they need to trigger people. Right. In order to trigger people, they push things out there that are emotional and that you can attach to emotionally. That's why the running joke is like, boom, your city's terrible and under attack and everyone's dying. And here's a pretty kitty to look at on the way out. Right. Well, the human, <laughs> here's a call, cat's birthday they, party. They call that the human interest story. You always yeah. have that near the end <laughs> the of the human newscast. Interest story. <laughs> oh, God, so cute. The dolphins. And so, whatever. Understanding that more information, just to look at it and say, I get that they have a bottom line, as with every business, whether it's legal and judicial, or whether it's commercial and pharmaceutical. Tech, whether it's pharmaceutical, it doesn't matter. They all are a business, and businesses have to make money, at least maintain a bottom line. doesn't matter how much you can donate or how much you give in the world if you're not getting any to donate and give. (laughs) It's just the way that we've set up our monetary and our commercial system. Taking that into account, you can say, oh, well, the information, why they're making this so emotional, now I understand. That's more than likely why they're applying to my emotion right now. And the information that they're saying is 10,000 new cases. Cool. Now let me go find out why 10,000 is a a number I should pay attention to. How many people are dying? Because that's really what I care about. How did these tests come to be? How accurate are they? Ooh, there's a new study about 6%, blah, blah, blah. You go into all the information to say 10,000 new people getting this. Is that a fluke? Did it happen the one time? Is it going to happen over and over? Does that mean everything's getting worse? Are things getting better, actually? I don't know. Right. None of those, those are, are answered those are in that string ass- of information. Exactly, and those are all assessments. Now, it may have been right. that they included an assessment with the, with the information, right, where they said there's 10,000 new cases. Oh, my God, shit's getting real. It's the end of the world. Like, 
Everybody better just lock themselves up and never go outside again until or we tell you no to. one's wearing masks. That's why we have ten thousand new things. Right, right. So there's there may be an assessment kind of bundled up with that. You have to be able to distinguish that. Is that a well grounded assessment? You know, right. like what is, is it actually saying? And, is it grounded? Then, right. And I think this comes full circle exactly. to the enemy within. Right? It is within us to recognize the neutrality of information, the distinctions between assertions, facts, and assessments, and the illogical or logical leaps that ground assessments. Right? So it's for us to make those discernments. It's, not, it's really not on the media companies. Like you said, they're a publicly traded corporation. It's on them to make the most money possible. Just like now, if nobody it's ever just like watched. a pharmaceutical company. Pharmaceutical <laughs> companies don't make money off of curing you with stuff. You have to take that into consideration. They make money by selling you pharmaceuticals. The more you <laughs> buy, the more money they make. So even their stockholders, you think their stockholders are like, come on, guys, let's get a cure to something. No. They want treatments, perpetual, that last forever yeah. and cost thousands of dollars because that's the bottom line. So, but it's not. It's our responsibility to understand that information is going to be conveyed in a way that is not necessarily beneficial for us based on the source of the information. I would say that information discernments. Information is always given attached to some level of intent behind it. Yes. So it's on us to separate what the intent is, like what's the implications and what the information is. And when you can pull those two apart, you can do whatever you want with either one of them. But if you're sitting there accepting both the imp what's implied and what's, uh, what's the information, then whatever is inside of you is just getting confirmed and reconfirmed and reconfirmed and solidified until you are one of these people that have all of these super strong uh, beliefs and opinions on everything and have all the information to back it up, but have never challenged yourself in, in what you believe or why, have never challenged the information or the sources of the information. And it's nothing that you've created on your own. It's completely regurgitated from someone, some other source. Right. You, it's not synth you did not synthesize the information like you said, regurgitated it. And actually, this, and guess, this reminds me of uh, the memes of pharmaceutical commercials. Like, my favorite part, right? I, no, I don't get to see them that much anymore because I don't have a TV. Well, I have a TV, but I don't have TV channels. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I got, you know, I got Prime and I got Netflix. And so I don't really get to, I don't watch TV. I don't have regular TV, but I remember TV. And I remember all the pharmaceutical commercials. And, and I'm sure it's still that way. Dude, they're brutal. <laughs> My favorite part is the part where half the screen turns into, you know, some text. Fine print. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's literally like you had, like if you had a hundred inch TV and paused it, you possibly could get up there and actually read what's on there. But most people aren't looking at it because what's right above all the fine print <laughs> Look at how happy she is now. Look at how great her life is. And 
man, it's worth all these side effects that we're now saying really low fast. You know what I mean? Like, there, again, it's the meme. There's this imagery of like, wow, it's all so awesome on this drug. Life is so great when I take Xanax or whatever, right? So they have this imagery of how great everything is. And it's blatantly the ball, obvious. Yeah, and then, at, and then <laughs> at, a, on, at a low voice, you know, with no inflection whatsoever, just blah, 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 blah you know, just no, no intensity to this Inclusive. to this part of the score of the movie, right? They're they're saying side effects may include you know shitting yourself and dying and you know and like but nobody's listening because they're like wow shit myself and dying's worth being that happy you know because the Dude, imagery I, I legit heard one one time it was like do you have trouble sleeping do you only sleep maybe five or six hours a night. Try our new sleep medication. And it went through and it was like, I feel so rested. I feel so good. And then the very side end, effects side include effects. insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last two, like they waited until the end. It was like a one-two punch. Okay, there was insomnia is a, as a side effect. <laughs> but the, the two that at the very end, which I will never forget because they were like, may include, include sexual dysfunction and or death. <laughs> Like, do I want a good night's sleep or to never get an erection again or to potentially or to die? die, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you know what? Five or six hours is pretty good. <laughs> like, I'm like, the I'll, constipation I'll and everything, hours. that didn't sound so bad. <laughs> and the funny thing is, everybody sees this. This isn't yeah. new information. This isn't no, surprising. Everyone's like, the thing. talking about old shit, bro. Well, and but they the still it's, do it. Why? It's the meme. It it's works. It's the meme. The imagery, see... You don't even really remember the imagery consciously. Like you don't remember like what the happy lady was wearing, what she was doing. You're just like happiness, fulfillment, great life. All I need to do is take Xanax because this imagery is being pumped into you, right? You're not even conscious that here comes this imagery of the, of the, the best life ever and the narrative of it's because of Xanax, because of Xanax, it's because of, you know, whatever. Well, it's the that's, that's the only one I can like think of right now because I don't, I don't follow pharmaceuticals anymore. So I can't even think of any other pharmaceuticals. <laughs> but, but I know there's other ones out there, and I know that we've got a hundred different names. My favorite is, is the ones that go with the antidepressants. It's like, wait a minute. Okay, so you're already on an antidepressant, but you're still depressed. Well, in, now you got to add this one on to it, and this is gonna make you. This is where the key to happiness is. It's like, well, you got to still be taking that other one. <laughs> don't don't stop taking that one. But now add this one. And now shit's good. Oh, side effects may include committing suicide or thoughts of suicide. Like, if you're having thoughts of suicide, you might still be Already. depressed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've actually seen some that are like, take this medication. It's an antidepressant. But then take this medication because it's a stimulant so now you can kind of maintain both and you got to turn the floor up and pull the ceiling down and it's like literally where do you want to be want to be right. all happy all sad like we've just pinched your top you're not feeling as much but let's get that floor back up <laughs> it's anyway the thing for me about this is that all of what's in there is information right and if we just completely unplug 
and take whatever is showing to us without separating the, the, the motive, really, or the meaning and the information, then we will sit there and want to buy every single drug, every single, like, what is the late-night commercials? What are those called? Infomercials? Mm-hmm. Want to buy every fucking slap chop that you can find, every snuggy blanket with arms in it. <laughs> we want to buy all those things because commercials do it, businesses do it, politicians do it, news sources do it. Because all information is never just information at the human experience level. It's married with something else. There's an intent to my communication, always. Even if it's just to communicate. No, no, no. I'm just saying to say it. Even that's an intent. That's right. my meaning and like implications underneath it. Which I get in trouble for saying things just to say things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, what do you mean? Well, nothing. Exactly what I said. <laughs> Having a good time. Do you mean you want to do it again? Not necessarily. So you said you don't want to do it again. Not necessarily. Just saying I'm having a good time. <laughs> that happens all the time. Right. Yeah. And so so even even without a an expressed meaning or conclusion accompanying information, we will apply our own meaning. Our own. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and and oftentimes that's intentional and oftentimes it's steered by the meme that this information is being conveyed with. So whether it's the imagery, right? Whether it's the, like you talked about inflection, right? So the information may, may be, may be a, a easily discerned fact, but how it's presented, the imagery it's presented with and other elements will affect how it's interpreted, how the meaning that is given to it, and this is information having power over us as opposed to us having power with information, right? So that's, that's I th- I'd say that was the big, the big takeaway that I, I really wanted to wrap this whole conversation into is that through these practices, through these tools of, of, of separating, distinguishing being able to see a meme for what it is, being able to to decipher the imagery from the narrative, and being able to to synthesize information through dissection of what are the assertions, what are the facts, what are the assessments, what logically follows, what's reasonable, what's rational. Is this are these assessments well grounded? Are they kind of grounded? Are they not grounded at all? And being able to synthesize information from those tools from those practices and therefore have power with the information in the world, regardless of the source of the information, um, whether it be mainstream media, whether it be politicians, whether it be Facebook or, or memes, literally the little graphic memes that everyone thinks mm-hmm. are the only form of memes, but being able to really break it up and distinguish its parts and make a discernible, uh, actionable um, assessment of the information. There's one thing I think we skipped over. I think I might have touched on it a little bit. <clears throat> but it's it's the need that people hold to reinforce their beliefs. Right. Yeah. So when we good, hold yeah. a belief, 
And you're like, okay, well, I need to be right about what I believe. So when I hear information come in, I'll accept it if it validates my belief. Right. Or I'll turn it away and reject it if it doesn't. Yes. Instead of challenging why, their own belief. Yeah, and that's why I said you need to neutralize information immediately. You know, and that means and it, it's a being slippery conscious, slope. Yeah, being conscious and aware that you that's not your nature. Your nature is to see it through the lens of your worldview. So you're by right. without thinking, without being present to information, your automatic will be to take the information and to view it through the lens of your worldview. Your the narratives you already live your life by, right? The 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 ideologies you've adopted or possessed by. These will be through which you interpret. And that's where you give the events meaning, right? And I'd say a huge polarizing figure in our current society is Donald Trump and how there are people who are just all about him and there are people who just absolutely hate him. And depending on information <laughs> about him, right? The information is neutral, mm -hmm. but you put it out there like, boom, he said this. He tweeted that he did this and you have an entire group of the population are going to go. Yeah, that's awesome. He's badass. He's bitching and that shows how cool he is and how, what a great president he is. And you have the entire other, an entire other group that are like, what a fascist racist, you know, and they're so polarized and already have these, these memes of who he is and what he is that the information comes in and it's not neutralized. It's already all. biased and already weighted based on the belief. So yes, this is the enemy with But not just that, right? it's like that super is charged. this conversation, that this all comes back to the enemy is not without. The enemy is not outside of you, it is within. And if you are polarized and if you are stuck into some ideology, you cannot neutralize the information because in order to reinforce your worldview, to reinforce your beliefs, you, you will interpret it through those beliefs. So it, that is the enemy within, is our, is our failure to be able to distinguish and neutralize information from a place of neutrality, right? It's because in order for us to make information neutral, we have to enter into a neutral space within ourselves before we, we can be neutralize neutral. Yeah, we have to actually be neutral. That doesn't mean, like, if you want to think Trump's a great guy, whatever. If you want to think that Trump's an awful racist fascist, fine, whatever. But if you can't separate yourself from that belief, that ungrounded or grounded assessment, right? Because it's an assessment. It's not a fact, Right. Trump is a racist. Trump is a fascist. That's an assessment. And you have assessed well his attitude and you've assessed the videos you've seen him in or in person. Right. And you've said, this is what I choose to believe about. No, you, you probably are, everything you view is already Dude. based on the belief you already have. You already and even have more so. About that. <laughs> okay. So I got on Facebook today for the first time in months. I want to say scrolling through, scrolling through. And I'm like, Figures, figures, figures. Yeah, this is all the same old stuff. And then, boom, a buddy of mine who I know is not a political dude, doesn't like, he likes to put his finger on sore spots. <laughs> like, figuratively, what he likes I to call, do. And so I call he posted him, a I, meme. I call him a button pusher. 
button pushers. He can recognize he other people's buttons. He dude. recognizes people have buttons. And regardless of what your buttons are, he's the guy who likes to press them. <laughs> I think he got the most amount of like angry reactions <laughs> that I've ever seen because he posted this. We went to a very like open hippie type of high school, but he posted this meme and the top half of it was a bunch of sheep wearing masks. <laughs> and it okay. said you <laughs> or everybody else. And then below it said like, me and my crew, and it was a bunch of lions <laughs> walking from a sunset wearing Trump Make America Great hats again. <laughs> oh. And no masks. No lion yeah, was wearing a mask, just a Trump oh. hat. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a MAGA hat. I was laughing so hard. I was like, that's, that's the war right now. Yeah. Like, if you're into Trump, you're anti-mask. Like, since when does my opinions on a mask mean I'm left or right? Yeah. Whatever it's, president's out there. That, what that happens if shows, I say, oh, I'm pro-mask means I'm pro-Democrat. Like, yeah. they're, all of these are getting reconfirmed and molded together to be two completely opposing worldviews. Right. And to and suspend those for a second, be like, we all don't want people to die. We all want, like, a responsible president. <laughs> we right. all want but the that's, same but stuff. But that's part of the meme. Part of the meme is exactly. if you don't wear a mask, well, then you don't that's care what's about implied. other people. Yeah, the, that's the meme. That's the imagery mm -hmm. that comes with it. And because they're, that's part of the narrative, right? So, you know, so many people here are not wearing masks. And now there's this many new cases. And these, you know, and these people don't care. Like, look at this Trump rally, right? And so you're like, now you're associating, you know, again, the imagery that's coming across. You. Trump's at a rally. He's speaking. And they immediately, what they're showing in the camera is people who don't have masks, right? So the, the, the meme there is that if you support Trump, you don't wear masks or people who don't wear masks support Trump. And so you have everyone out there who like thinks he's a you know, racist, bigoted, uh, fascist. They're all throwing masks on just so that they're like, whoa, 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 just want you to know I think he's an asshole. You know? like, <laughs> I'm on your you've side. Pull, yeah, you've politicized masks, you know, like, so there is no neutrality there with information about masks. You see that? And, and everybody really wants to cite the science. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and, there, and there's so, definitely science that you could point that will point to each, each, right? That they are effective, they aren't effective. But the reality is that's, you, if you really, if you really want to have clear, actionable information, then synthesize it yourself. Meaning, take in, dissect, establish where your assertions, facts, assessments are. Look at the nature of the information, the timing of the information, the sources of the information. Take all that into account, and then synthesize information. From a place of neutrality, you know, what, like, because it's been politicized, it's like, well, screw you. You ain't taking my freedom away. I'll wear a mask if I want, right? <laughs> it's kind of like the attitude right. taken by people who don't want to wear a mask. Like, yeah, man, screw you. You know, I do what I want. You know, I won't carry a gun and not wear a mask. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so it's been politicized in that sense. And that regardless of the information that comes in from a person who's been polarized that way, there is no unbiased, there is no valuable or actionable information because everything 
is judged from that unneutral, that bias, that polarized position you've already taken on it. And this is the enemy within. You know, that's why we're not pointing the finger at like media bad, politicians bad. No, the enemy is within us that we get caught up in an ideology. We get caught up in a political idea or concept or memes that come to us through the media and we polarize ourselves based on this and we do not fail. I'm not going to say because we have the ability, we have the capacity, but we fail to drop into a place of neutrality, neutralize information and make determinations about that information by dissecting it and being able to see what it is, being able to see where the facts lie, being able to see where assessments are through the use of language. You know, the language used is full of assessments, assertions, and facts. And if you have the capacity or the tools, I should say, because everyone has the capacity, but if you have the tools to make those distinctions, then you can have power with information. So having power with information is 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 being an ally with yourself, I suppose. <laughs> if letting information have power over you is having an enemy within, right? Then having power with information is eliminating the enemy, right? There's there's no longer polarization within you that would obfuscate actionable information for you. I'd say I think that's for all me, I gotta say on that. um i would add that in 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 a reality where people are constantly identifying an enemy that the enemy that they are defining and identifying are elements of which they've set themselves against already so anybody who that they can point to to say oh that person embodies the things that I find wrong in the world. Or that person can, uh, what is the term I was going to use? That person can offend or trespass or whatever on something that I hold to be important. Then I can label them as the enemy. But that's not where the enemy, because it's an assessment, that's not where the enemy actually lives. Within every individual, they have the capacity and the ability to create enemies to create friends and foes and then to project that out on somebody else and say boo there it is that one thing i hate there it is the same way where we go out and say oh that's the type of person that i like Ooh, you and me are we're we're gonna be friends soon oh we're you and you're you're a great person you're this is a good person a good christian foe or a good you know whatever there are because because you wear a mask. Because you you wear a mask, I can tell you're a good person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't wear a mask? Well, then you're evil, and you're yeah. inconsiderate, and you're a fascist, and a racist, and a bigot, because you don't wear a mask. <laughs> um, and the thing that starts to reconfirm in us over and over and over, because so many of us are not paying attention to the narrative that we're just running over and over is what we continue to hear in the ways that we've talked about 
And this is this is one example that's extremely important to understand that no, like being I don't even know which one's left and right anymore, but being red <laughs> does not mean anything about that person's ignorance or bigotry or mask support or COVID conspiracy, whatever. Or no more than blue means any of the things that are on that side. Like those are just political orientations. The mass stuff and vaccine stuff and coronavirus beliefs and all the other things, those are just other aspects, other beliefs that these people hold. And they don't completely make up any individual's personality. I'm sure there's like one person either end of the spectrum <laughs> because there always is. There's one guy or girl way over here and one guy or girl way over here. And they do embody all of that stuff. But the majority of the people are in the middle. That's the facts of the situation. On a spectrum, nobody's yeah, always at the ends. That's your assessment. <laughs> well, on a because, spectrum. No, the spectrum, the spectrum itself yeah, is, you're assa- right. is you're assessment. Right. It's an assessing tool. Oh, you're likes to call someone a moderate. Well, by whose definition of a moderate? To call someone <laughs> right wing. By whose definition of right wing? Or to call someone right. left wing. By whose definition and how, like when you use the term far left, oh, they're far left or they're far right. That's an assessment. Like, do they say, call well, themselves far right, far left? Well, the fa- and then you can ground mm, that. You can, <laughs> right. And you can ground that. You can say, well, you know, uh, they have a communist flag that they fly outside their house. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, right. like, that's grounding it. That may be a fact. Okay, fact, they got a communist flag. Okay, hammer and sickles hanging up in front of their front door. Okay, that's a fact, and that grounds your assessment that they're far left. But it's mm-hmm. that they're two distinct things. Your assessment that they're far left and the fact that they have a communist flag hanging on their door is two separate things. One is fact. One is an assessment. Facts can be used to ground an assessment. But an assessment yeah. that's only grounded by one fact is not as grounded and therefore not as actionable or not as useful information as a well-grounded. Like, let's say if you've grounded this assessment in a multitude of facts, well then, okay, that assessment stands on its own much stronger, but it's never a fact. An assessment is never a fact. It's always, it's always an assessment. It's always a judgment. It's always an opinion based on. And sometimes you have people out there spitting out assessments as if they are facts and they're not even grounded assessment. You know, they're just like, yeah. he's, he's a bad person. That's fact is assessment. all you are so stupid and racist. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. All people who don't believe this are this type of person. You know what I mean? And that's, I mean, that's where bigotry, yeah. that's where racism, that's where those things come from is where, when you really, you you don't have power with information. All you have is ideology. All you can do is regurgitate ideology. All you can do is, is see information through the existing biases and beliefs and worldviews. Um, so that's so if we do not embrace this, these tools and this power we have with information, then we're destined to, you know, be divided and to separate and to be polarized and to 
live out of these judgments and we're and we're destined to be influenced both psychologically uh, and emotionally by the means of media, right? We, we're, if we're not present to information, if we don't take it in our deliberate intentional in our dissection of it, in our neutralization of it, in the breaking apart and breaking down of it, and, and, and then, of course, logic and reason, you know, have a place in this discernment. Um, or at least own it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's um, one last thing I wanted to run by you, which is I saw this news post. Um, I think it was the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And they said, why you should not do your own research. Yeah. No, that was... Uh... <laughs> I think it was Forbes. I, I see. It might have been Forbes. Yeah, I, I've seen that article. And literally I I went through talking ago. about how it is important for like to rely on experts in some scenarios. Like doing your research is fine. We recommend you do that with everything, unless it involves your life or somebody else's life, as we've seen with coronavirus and masks and other things. Because in doing your own research. Step over here. Us as experts, we can see the flaws in your logic and the misdirection of your assumptions and X, Y, and Z. I forget what else. Yeah, but but don't listen to those experts over there. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty of it. So us as the experts can see why your thought logic is flawed. So don't do your own research when it comes to things as serious as this. And I just thought to myself. In fact. Don't even go looking for your own expert. We will provide <laughs> experts for you, and you listen to our experts. The experts that we deem as reliable, those are the only experts. And like you were saying before we got on the, before we started today, um, with the, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I want to say it had something to do with Fauci. But it was, you remember what you were talking? It, it had something to do with like these opinions, like the opinions of these people are valid, but the opinions of these people are not valid. They're both opinions, and they're both scientists, and they're both. <laughs> but, but this is the, this is the group that we deem <laughs> as uh, as reliable and and a valid source and all that. So, I just I find it amusing. I don't that the, the and again this meme right that you can't be trusted you know and again we we talked about this with why there is still trust in mainstream media because they're constantly doing pr on their bad so information because <laughs> like, they're the reason i bring this up the reason i bring this up is because that's exactly what i feel this is now yeah. i can't you know say factually if this is a campaign against or for any actual like motives, but to go out and tell people, I feel like that's what is being asked of people to Mm -hmm. sit back and to accept the narrative and the information and whatever is coming down the pipe. If you go and do your own logic, it's dangerous. (laughs) Like that's what's being implied behind. Don't do your own research. Right. Because, you might end up with the wrong information, which is fine unless it has life and death consequences. 
then let us tell you what to do with your life and your death. Right. That's what to me is implied in that entire article. And what you brought up, like, okay, well, maybe I'll go find another expert. Maybe I'll go find a doctor that does not make money off of me having cavities and see what toothpaste he recommends. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, again, that's just, that's part of, that's part of the memeing, right? The, The meme, the memes that are streaming at us out of media are, well, to me, that's the danger. Our, psycho- our psychological response to information—it's it has us looking to certain sources as authoritative, to other sources as non-authoritative. Some sources as reliable, other sources as unreliable. Um, and then, I mean, we could do an an entire episode on pro- propagandic words and phrases that are used to make you judge something a certain way. Like if you were to throw out the phrase uh, conspiracy theorist or anti-vaxxer or, you know what I mean? Like these are phrases that are intentionally uh, that are meme of themselves, right? Because there's already, they've already been presented to you with situation, with context, with imagery that automatically has you is all I have to do is say the word anti-vaxxer. You're like, what a and fucking a, idiot. You know it, what I mean? Like, and it all the extra comes in. Yeah. Immediately there's a reaction to it. Immediately there's a judgment of anyone I label with that. Or same with fascist, right? Like, I mean, the words practically lost all meaning in, right. in our current culture, but you just throw it out there. Throw it out there and immediately there's a reaction to it, right? And, and immediately there's a judgment that goes with it. And this is, I'd say this is, information having power over people. And I'd say probably the most detrimental device against people being empowered is the failure to discern and make distinctions of language and, and, and information. Um, I mean, we're, you, you, you seen with what's going on, how just information, like nobody showed up at anyone's house with a gun and say, you better do this, you know, to convince you of something. It's just this information. It's just, I mean, the, where the world is at and where, where it's come from and where it's going is all a result of just information and how and what we've done with that information, how we've interpreted that information. Um, so I think there's probably an extraordinary amount of power in being, in being intentional with the tools of discernment with relation to information, being able to being in a neutral place for yourself, being able to neutralize the information, being able to dissect it, break it down, and have power with it, as opposed to right now what, what I see, this is my assessment, is that in the world there's a tremendous amount of information having power over people. And that's why there, is, there are these elements of hysteria and fear and, and why propaganda is effective. Propaganda doesn't have to be effective. 
if we start making these distinctions and discernments for ourselves and are able to have power with language, pump out all, anyone can pump out any propaganda they want and we will have power with the information as opposed to allowing that information to have power over us and to dictate how we act, how we think, how we interact with each other. Um, all the power. Oh, this is, I mean, I, I'm now I'm getting, I, I feel that this is a much more profound concept than I initially gave it, but the amount of power that words, that language, that information has over us yeah, and over people, it's tremendous. It's dramatic. It's extraordinary. Like the amount of power we can have with language and the really the, the dramatic change that we can see in the world if we start to have power with information as opposed to power, information having power over us. Because at, at this point, it's information is dictating the, the paths that people are taking. It's dictating the thoughts that you have. I mean, that's profound. To dictate, to have effect over how you think, what you think, I mean, that's something to take into consideration. I didn't realize at the beginning of this conversation how profound this subject is in my and assessment. Fundamentally <laughs> in my assessment. <laughs> and fundamentally, it's not the power, for me, it's not the power that language and, and all of this has over people, but it's the power that people have given to that language. Right. Because the, that's that the power only way it can have power over you. you give that power away. You you right. must. It doesn't give it originate away in the words. It doesn't originate yeah. in the ideology. It doesn't originate there to power over somebody. It originates within the individual. The individual gives power to something, and then surrenders to it. It's yeah. the only way that happens. I agree. I agree. Well, this was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, me How too. About you? Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you, Gingy, for accompanying me on this journey through the enemy within or to the enemy within <laughs> or away from the enemy within. And uh, talk to you soon, my friend. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Yeah.